0: Hey guys, it's Emma and Shannon and welcome back to our podcast. She's an engineer.
1: In this episode, we are going to have another remarkable women in STEM and we have a couple women that we want to talk about today and uh, I guess we'll just dive right into it.
0: Yeah. Okay. So our first woman that we're going to be talking about is Mary Anning and she's actually one like, pretty well-known female paleontologist. And it said that the phrase, Mary sells seashells by the seashore, is based on her. That's so cool. I didn't know there was an actual Mary. Yeah, I didn't know that either until I I looked her up and, and was researching her for this episode. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... She was born on May 21st, 1799 in Lyme Regis, Dorset, England, and she was one of two surviving children that was born to cabinet maker and amateur fossil collector Richard Anning and his wife Mary Moore. So that's like how she got her start into fossil collecting and paleontology. So her family relied on the sale of fossils collected from seaside cliffs near their home along England's Channel Coast as a source of income. And unfortunately, her father Richard passed away in 1810, I think because of tuberculosis or lung disease, and the family mainly relied on charity, and because Mary and her brother Joseph and also her mother were skilled fossil collectors themselves because of the their their family business they ended up supplementing their meager resources by selling fossils of invertebrates like aminoids and belemnoids to collectors and scholars and by 1817 the flo- the fossils actually attracted the attention of british fossil collector Lieutenant Colonel Thomas Birch, who assisted the family financially by purchasing a large number of the specimens that they collected. And later on, he auctioned off his collection and donated the proceeds of this auction to the Anning family during a particularly desperate period in their lives. So he helped them out a lot. Mary actually received very limited education from a Congregationalist Sunday School where she learned to read and write so she didn't end up and attending university or higher education but because she was able to read and write she was able to teach herself geology and anatomy so by the middle of the 1820s she started to take charge of her family's fossil business so i want to kind of talk about like her discoveries So, we'll have to go back a little bit to her childhood to talk about her discoveries. So, around 1811, when Mary was 12, her brother Joseph found a strange-looking fossilized skull. And then, once he found it, Mary then searched for it and then dug out the entire outline of its 5.2-meter-long skeleton. And by the time that she was done, which was several months later, it took her quite a long time. Everyone in town knew that she had discovered what must have been a monster. That's so funny, though, (laughs) like thinking about a 12-year-old digging up uh, a skull. (laughs) I know. It sounds like. I don't know. It really does sound like she she was very curious and and she's way more patient than I would have been when I was 12. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if it took her months to dig that up. Wow. Yeah, I don't think I like I think when I was 12, I don't think I ever like carried on a hobby for like months. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe maybe Legos or something. I don't know. And then scientists actually thought that this was a crocodile. And at that time, most people assumed that unearthed unrecognizable creatures had simply migrated to far-off lands because the concept of extinction wasn't like a concept yet. Mm-hmm. And by this time, George George's Cuvier, who's known as the father of paleontology, had only recently introduced the theory of extinction, and Charles Darwin's On the Origin of Species wouldn't have, wouldn't be published for another 48 years, mm-hmm. so they weren't really, so, like, the theories of, like, evolution and extinction just really weren't, like, prevalent in people's minds, or even really, like, a concept that was widely taught, or even widely thought. Mm-hmm. So this mysterious specimen was studied and debated for years and it was eventually named ichthyosaurus or fish lizard. But now we know it's neither fish nor lizard, but it's actually a marine reptile. So I guess kind of similar to like a crocodile, if you think about it, Mm -hmm. that's a marine reptile, right? Yes. Yeah. For some reason this
1: rings a bell, the fish lizard. I think I've seen something at a, Like a history museum.
0: Yeah, I think I must have seen it at like the, um, one of those like national, national museums with all the dinosaur exhibits. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe we learned about this in school. Unclear. But yeah. They determined that it lived 201 to 194 million years ago. So a long time ago. Yeah. So she actually dug up the first one of these, which is pretty cool. As a 12-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> so going back to adulthood, she actually made a lot of incredible discoveries, like first discoveries of, of certain, like, dinosaurs. So in 1823, Mary was the first to discover the complete skeleton of a ple- plesiosaurus, meaning near to reptile. And the specimen was so strange, and so the news quickly spread that soon there were rumors that this fossil that she had dug up was fake. And the father of paleontology, Georges Cuvier, himself actually disputed the find, and a special meeting was scheduled at the Geological Society of London, although Mary was not invited to this meeting even though she was the one who found the fossil. Mm-hmm. After lengthy debate, Cuvier admitted to his mistake and also despite her growing reputation for finding and identifying fossils, the scientific community was still hesitant to recognize her work and even though many of the male scientists who frequently bought these fossils that mary would uncover clean prepare and identify often didn't even credit her discoveries in their scientific papers on the finds even when writing about her groundbreaking ichthyosaurus find and even the geological society of london refused to admit her because she was a woman and because she was i guess like not as like formally educated And they didn't even admit any women until 1904. And then another discovery she made in 1828, she uncovered a strange jumble of bones, this time with a long tail and wings. And then again, news of her discovery traveled fast. And scientists from London to Paris theorized on this unknown species of that most rare and curious of all reptiles. And what she found were the first remains attributed to a dimorphodon. And it was the first pterosaur ever discovered outside of Germany. And this is actually what is known now as the pterodactyl. Oh. Yeah, which was later coined. And unlike ichthyosaurs and plesiosaurs, which I guess lived in the water and on land... Pterosaurs had wings and were believed to be the largest ever flying animals. Wow. Yeah, pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And then a year later in 1829, she also excavated the skeleton of Squaloraja, a fossil fish thought to be a member of the transition group between sharks and rays. And then another one of her contributions to science is that she also pioneered the study of coprolites or fossilized poop, Hmm. which is, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so despite her lack of formal scientific training, her discoveries, her local area knowledge and skill and at classifying these fossils in her field, although this like earned her reputation among paleontology's male and largely upper class ranks, She still wasn't given full credit for many of the fossils she excavated, Mm -hmm. which is very disappointing. Even though, like, her hunting expeditions also included some of the famous scientists of the time, like British geologist and minister William Buckland and the British anatomist and paleontologist Richard Owen... She also corresponded with and sold fossils, as I mentioned before, to many of the other leading scientists like Cuvier and English geologist Adam Sedgwick. So when she actually sold these fossils or gave these fossils to these other scientists, they were the ones who ended up donating these specimens to the institutions. And so these collectors were the ones that often at these institutions were credited with their discovery and not Mary Anning. So I think we can kind of assume that some of the specimens or some of the discoveries that we've seen in museums that are accredited to certain people might actually be accredited to Mary Anning. But but we might not know. Yeah. And of the many specimens that she found and recovered, several were described in prestigious journals without even a mention of her name. Although some of the famous scientists at the time, such as British geologist Henry de la Beck and British paleontologist Gideon Mantle did credit her in their work, which I guess is, is good of them Mm -hmm. (laughs) is, is the, it's the right thing to do, right? Mm -hmm. For sure. Unfortunately, she did die young at In 1847, she died of breast cancer in 1847, and when she died, the president of the Geological Society eulogized her in his annual address, even though, what we said before, the first woman wouldn't be admitted to the organization until 1904. And then in 2010, she was recognized by the Royal Society posthumously as one of the 10 most influential women scientists in British history. Wow, that's
1: impressive and it's such an interesting story to unpack too because Mary, you know, she was it was the early 1800s when she made some of these discoveries yeah. and she's working in a field where at the time many women didn't work at all and then working with a lot of other male paleontologists and geologists mm-hmm. is really impressive, but I also think it's so cool that they're discovering these, you know, bones in the ground and they don't even they haven't really solidified the extinction theory. So they're yeah. just like finding these things and are like, oh my God, what was, like, what is roaming around the earth that we can't see? Cause they thought it probably was there currently, just some other place. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just so strange of a concept to think about discovering those and not understanding extinction.
0: I know. When I was reading that, I was like, I didn't even think about the fact that extinction wasn't discovered until. Not, like, fairly recently, but at mm-hmm. least, like, you know, less than 200 years ago. Yeah, they must have been, like, so scared. It must have been, like, Jurassic Park to them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but she's pretty cool, I think. Mm-hmm. I feel like she deserves them, Mary Sells Seashells by the Seashore. <laughs> Yes.
1: And I feel like we need to start using her full name too. So people, she gets the credit that she deserves.
0: Yeah, hopefully, Mm -hmm. I think now in some British museums, because I did find some information on her from the, I think the National History Museum of the UK. And they call her like an unsung hero. So I think they now do credit some of these fossils and discoveries to her.
1: Oh, nice. Okay,
0: good. Yeah.
1: Awesome. I'll let you take it away with uh, Nettie Stevens. Sounds good. So, the second remarkable woman we're going to talk about is Nettie Stevens, and she was born on July 7th, 1861, in Cavendish, Vermont. And she died May 4th, 1912, in Baltimore, Maryland. Nettie Maria Stevens was born in Vermont to Julian Ephraim Stevens. And after the death of her mother, her father remarried, and the family moved to Westford, Massachusetts. She graduated from Westford Academy in 1880. Stevens taught high school and was a librarian, and her teaching duties included courses in physiology and zoology, as well as mathematics, Latin, and English. Her interest in zoology may have been influenced by taking a teacher training course she attended on Martha's Vineyard in the 1890s. After teaching for three terms, Nettie continued her education at Westfield Normal School, now Westfield State University, completing the four-year course in only two years and graduating with high honors from her class, In 1883, that's impressive. She got all of her coursework done in two years instead of four.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah, I can't Mm -hmm. even imagine that.
1: Yes. In 1896, Nettie entered Stanford University and she earned her BA in 1899 and an MA in 1900. She began doctoral studies in biology at Bryn Mawr College, which included a year of study at the Zoological Station in Naples, Italy, and the Zoological Institute of the University in Wurzburg, Germany. She received a PhD in 1903 and remained at the college as a research fellow in biology for a year, as a reader in experimental morphology for another year, and as an associate in experimental morphology from 1905 until her death. So getting into a little more detail uh, on her career, in her first year at Bryn Mawr, Nettie received a graduate scholarship in biology. In the following year, she was named the President's European Fellow and studied at the University of Würzburg in Germany. She also studied marine organisms at Helgoland and Naples Zoological Station. After receiving her PhD, Nettie was given an assistantship at the Carnegie Institute of Washington in 1904 to 1905. Several subsequent studies of germ cells in aphids appeared as a result. So one paper that Nettie wrote in 1905 won an award of $1,000 for the best scientific paper written by a woman. Another work, Studies in Spermatogenesis, highlighted her entry into the increasingly promising focus of sex determination studies and chromosomal inheritance. It was at this institute that Nettie had her sex determination work published in a report in 1905. Nettie focused on topics such as the regeneration in primitive multicellular organisms, the structure of single cell organisms. The Development of Sperm and Egg, Germ Cells of Insects, and Cell Division in Sea Urchins and Worms. Wow, they're all so interesting and very detailed subjects. Yeah. In 1908, Nettie received the Alice Freeman Palmer Fellowship from the Association of Collegiate Alumni, now the American Association of University Women. While as an associate in experimental morphology, she used the observations of insect chromosomes. She discovered while studying at Bryn Mawr um, that in some species, chromosomes were different among the sexes. The discovery was the first time that observable differences of chromosomes could be linked to an observable difference in physical attributes, whether an individual is male or female. This work was done in 1905. The experiments completed to determine this was completed on a range of different insects. She identified the Y chromosome in mealworm, Tenebrio, and she deduced that the chromosomal basis of sex depended on the presence or absence of the Y chromosome. Studying egg tissue and fertilization process, Stevens was the first to recognize that females have two large sex chromosomes in the shape of Xs, and the males have one full-size X and another that is missing a portion, making it resemble a Y. This discovery, also announced independently that year by Edmund Beecher Wilson of Columbia University, not only ended the long-standing debate over whether sex was a matter of hereditary or embryonic environmental influence, but was also the first firm link between a heritable characteristic and a particular chromosome. Nettie Stevens continued her research on the chromosome makeup of various insects, discovering many chromosomes in certain insects and the paired state of chromosomes in flies and mosquitoes. At 50 years old and only nine years after completing her PhD, wow, she was studying for a very long time,
0: awesome,
1: Nettie Stevens died of breast cancer on May 4, 1912 in Maryland, Although her career span was short, she
0: published approximately 40 papers. That's a lot of papers. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine writing that many papers and publishing that many papers. Yes. Yeah, that's that's impressive. Yeah, she was super impressive, I think. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like what what i've learned today at least from this episode is that like there are a lot of things that we've learned in school and even in like elementary school that we like take for granted that like everyone knows but Mm -hmm. like you don't you don't think about like someone someone like discovered this like maybe like a hundred years ago yes yeah like i don't think if i was at that time like if i was a woman at that time That I would have had, like, the creativity and, like, scientific prowess to, like, make those discoveries, if that makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. And also just the determination to get there, too, because it was so much harder.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And she studied for so long. Like, that, Mm -hmm. that requires so much determination. I think she studied until she was, like, 41 years old. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, and she should have, I feel like she should have been made like permanent professor, but I think I think they offered her permanent professorship or whatever, like tenure, mm-hmm. but like a full professorship instead of just like associate professorship. But I think she passed away like shortly after it was offered or something like that oh, before wow. she could accept the position. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, both of these women actually passed away from breast cancer.
1: Oh, yeah, at a relatively yeah. young age.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like I think it's it's usually more common in in more older women, but this is like also like a sign that everyone, I think it's supposed to be over the age of 40 is supposed to get a mammogram. Mm -hmm. But if you have like a family history of breast cancer or if you have like a known family gene, uh, the BRCA1 or BRCA2 genes, then you can start getting your mammograms earlier because you want to catch it early because you have like Mm -hmm. a higher likelihood of getting breast cancer if you have those genes. So just like my two cents out there. (laughs) Yeah, a little friendly reminder. Yeah, exactly. A friendly reminder to keep up with your health. I know it's like hard, especially like even even for me. Like it's like hard to like make time to like go to the doctor, but it's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I think that's it, right? Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. So well, we hope you enjoyed learning about Nettie Stevens and Mary Anning and. We will see you guys again in two weeks. Bye. Bye.